As I said earlier, our speakers this morning are members of, of the church. They're, they've all been members for varying lengths of time. And I think we're going backwards uh, from, well, we're going from the one who's been here the longest to the newest of the three. So if, uh, John, you would like to start us this morning. There was a time if I uh, got up here, I would know almost everybody in the congregation, and that time has gone. Uh, There's a good side and a bad side to that, but uh, my name's John Ratcliffe. Uh, I practice law. My hobbies, um, or my hobby, I guess, is really reading, and uh, in addition to novels and some poetry and that sort of thing, what I mostly read is philosophy and logic books. Um, so it's not going to be much fun if you come up and ask me what can you read that you'd really get a kick out of because it's, that's just not the kind of stuff that I do. Um, I think I said I was sick. I'm 63. I've been a recovering alcoholic for about 21 years. Um, at this church, I've been the president of the board. Uh, I have been uh, on the building and grounds committee. Um, and really the most interesting thing I think that I've ever done at this church was we at one point put together a committee whose purpose was to come up with good ideas for the church and to think them through and to think out how they would be implemented so that we could provide that input uh, to the board. The really nice thing about the committee was that you were under no obligation to do anything to make them come about. All you had to do was think them up. But we spent a lot of time doing that, and was re- we did it really um, carefully. Uh, and a few things that we recommended did actually um, come to pass. And we also entertained suggestions from people, and then we would try to think them through and figure out why they would be a really good idea or why they would really be a bad idea. Um, if you've ever been to a board meeting, there's not a lot of re- time to really reflect at the board meeting. And... Uh, uh, so that was what we were trying to do. Also taught the middle school and high school for two or three years, and I taught every pillar. I mean, just and I had persons with me, other teachers, but basically I went through all the pillars, um, which is another one of those things that has a good side and a bad side. Um, my own personal spiritual journey. Uh, you know, I mean, everybody's on a spiritual journey, whether they know it or not, from the beginning. But the the spiritual journey that I've at least had some kind of control over started when I finally sobered up in my 40s. Um, and over a long period of time, and some of this came out in my teaching of the, the students, um, it became, I guess, the sort of center of my spirituality that... Um, was to learn how to remain serene in the face of uncertainty. You just don't know what's coming next. And really that's sort of the center of my spirituality. And it's real practical because what, what it means is that I just don't flip out every time something goes a little sideways. Um, the 
in the context of the Unitarian Church, um, the opportunity to build my own religion, uh, which probably you're familiar with, and many of you have kind of worked that out some to your on your own, um, was really a great draw here for me. The um, the there's no dogma here. Um, you're not even really required to believe in God. Most people do. You know, on a given day, I might or might not. Um, most of the time, I think it doesn't really make a whole lot of difference. Um, and, of course, if you know anything about AA, the, what you seek in AA is, is um, help from a higher power. And it doesn't have to be God. Um, Recently, and I'm going to read something from philosophy in just a minute. It's about a paragraph, and it's not the kind of philosophy that I do most of the time. And I really stumbled into this pretty much by accident. But the question that I had was, and, and I really didn't arrive at this book. I mean, I really found this book for an entirely different reason. I read it, and it had uh, it shared the question that I had. And the question is, if you if there's not a God then what is it that we do when we meditate? What is it that we do when we pray? And why does it work? And, you know, there's a kind of a glib answer that can be given where you're just kidding yourself and making yourself feel better and so forth. And um, I think there's probably more to it than that. The book is by a woman named Iris Murdoch. I don't know if any of you have heard of her, but she she's mo- mo- she uh, studied and taught at Cambridge and, and Oxford, and she... Um, uh, is best known for for her novels, and her novels are really quite good. Although I have to admit, I have literally never been able to make it all the way through one. I know that they're good because they're um, uh, kept in print by Penguin, and they, it, that means that it's a good enough book to kind of keep keep printing. But in any case, this is not one of the novels. This is a book called "On the Sovereignty of the Good." And it's a little bit more tedious than I would like, but it's not too bad. One of the main problems of moral philosophy might be formulated thus. Are there any techniques for the purification and reorientation of an energy which is naturally selfish in such a way that when moments of choice arrive, we shall be sure of acting rightly? We shall also have to ask whether, if there are such techniques, they should be simply described in quasi-psychological terms, or even in psychological terms, or whether they can be spoken of in a more systematic philosophical way. I've already suggested that a pessimistic view, which claims that goodness is the almost impossible countering of a powerful egocentric mechanism, already exists in traditional philosophy and in theology. The technique which Plato thought appropriate to this situation I shall discuss later. Uh, much closer and more familiar to us are the techniques of religion, of which the most widely practiced is prayer. What becomes of such a technique in a world without God, and can it be transformed to supply at least part of the answer to our central question? And she goes on to say, and I'm not going to give the answer. I mean, the rest of the book is about this. But she says, prayer is properly not petition, but simply an attention to God, which is a form of love. 
With it goes the idea of grace, of, an, of a supernatural assistance to human endeavor which overcomes empirical limitations of personality. That's the self-finish you'll remember. What is this attention like, and can those who are not religious believers, that is, in particular, not uh, believers in God, still conceive of profiting by such an activity? Let us pursue the matter by considering what the traditional object of this attention was like and by what means it affected its worshipers. I, su- I shall suggest that God was or is a single, perfect, transcendent, non-representatable, non-representable, and necessarily real object of attention. And I shall go on to suggest that moral philosophy should attempt to retain a central concept which has all of those characteristics. I shall consider them one by one, although to a large extent they overlap. But there it was. I mean, just out of nowhere comes, you know, a framing of the question that I've been puzzling about is what do you do if you don't believe in God? You know, what are you doing when you pray and meditate? And how come it's working, right? If you believe in God, you don't need to worry about this question at all. Um, uh, but you can, okay? <laughs> it's, that's what philosophy is. Um, the, this is a very frustrating church to belong to. Um, we're frustrated for financial reasons. We've always been frustrated by financial reasons. That's really all I've got. I think this is a wonderful church, although I have some real doubts and frustrations and so forth. Well, I might not be quite as radical, John. (laughs) Sorry about that. But um, my name is Kelly McDade, and I have been coming to All Souls since 2001. I showed up on Artist Sunday and never left. So um, it took me a while to get here. I kept looking at Artist Sunday around in the community for years going, you know, I should probably go do that. And then I finally went, and that was it. Um, I... Let's see, I teach at Bossier Parish Community College. I teach art history and ceramics. And uh, I've been here in the community for about 17 years and been a part of the arts community in one way or another during that entire time period. So um, anyway, obviously the arts would attract me. But uh, I wanted to tell you a little bit about my journey and how I got here and why I stay. And so um, here's a little bit about me. Um, basically, I was born into an Episcopal church or an Episcopal family and then baptized and confirmed and all of those lovely things, married, had my children baptized in an Episcopal faith. Um, and I was a child who grew up loving church. I went to a very high Episcopal church, which meant we had incense and confession and all the sacraments and uh, chanting and high masses all the time. And I loved it, loved it, loved it. I loved the way it smelled. I loved the robes. I loved the candle. I mean, you know, I was very much into it. And, um, you know, during Lent, we would have these intense sort of... Uh, you know, educational components that, again, I think fed a lot of my philosophical inquiries. And so um, the church that I went to, as I say, was very high, but it was also dedicated to St. Francis. So there was a strong interest in poverty and uh, lack of materials, uh, goods, 
and service in the community, and it was a very close family, and I enjoyed it very, very much. My, you know, grandparents and my mom still go to the same church, and uh, the head of the church, Father Rogers, was a phenomenal character. He grew up in a Baptist church, and um, ended up getting an Episcopal, uh, you know, a degree in theology and Episcopal Anglicanism, and he was a total pragmatist philosopher, (laughs) so he was great, because he brought all this love and joy and uh, abundance of ideas and thoughts and things to the congregation. and So I enjoyed that for a long, long time. Um, I went to a Catholic high school. And so, uh, you know, amazingly, all the Catholic, you know, my fellow students said, God, you seem a lot like a Catholic. <laughs> and I used to always say, well, basically, the only difference in my family is we're not so much about the um, divine quality of the Pope, that he's actually God incarnate. Well, you know, come to find out, I'm more of the belief that we're all divine. <laughs> so, you know, anyway, but I had no problems in Catholic high school because, you know, it sort of made sense. We did all the same sacraments and stuff. And then uh, went to college at Tulane and came across the Jewish faith because it's very, very strongly uh, Jewish community. And, you know, but then I'm in New Orleans, and so that's got that whole Catholic overlay. So there's this whole gumbo thing starting to happen for me. And um, and just the joy of being, which I think is what New Orleans is, just be and be joyful. Um, so I love that very, very much. And then uh, I met Billy McDade at Tulane, who is my husband, and we married. And next thing I know, I'm up in northwest Louisiana. And which is very, very different, as you all know, from New Orleans. Uh, coming from Dallas, then to New Orleans, then, you know, up here, as my grandparents said, oh, good, you're coming back home to Texas. So, you know, she practically just assumed, you know, Shreveport was pretty much Texas, so that was a good thing. Um, but anyway, so we ended up here, and I started looking around for church, knowing that that was going to be, you know, part of my life. Uh, I ended up at St. Mark's, you know, again, a very high, you know, uh, Episcopal church, And things went along pretty well. I was thrilled they got a female minister, a priest, and I just thought, okay, this is it. Yay, I'm so happy about that. And um, I had a couple children, my lovely girls, Sadie and Abigail. And so we were plodding along there. And I don't know, you know, I, I was going to church, doing my normal thing, and all of a sudden the language, I have to say, I blame it on the language, The language of the church. I had struggled over it over the years to some degree, but I finally just got to the point where it became just like, um, what do you call it, like an SOS pad on my spirit. (laughs) It was so abrasive to me, and so I started feeling like um, the emphasis on patriarchy, the emphasis on exclusion, the emphasis on... um, you know, ma- the master-slave language, um, the saved and not saved language. There was just a whole lot of stuff that I, I just, I literally started going to church and go, what are they saying? You know, I just felt myself recoiling. And um, and I met with a couple of the priests at the church, and I said, gosh, I'm really struggling all of a sudden. I mean, psalms, prayers, everything. You know, the songs we sing, I'm just, all of a sudden it's just, words, words, words are, are coming to me and, um, and not sitting right. 
And, you know, I would say, okay, what is this about homosexuality? I just, you know, why, why? And I kept having all these questions. And they were really great at bringing me like 80% through the questioning process. But there was always a but. And, you know, it's like, okay, you can do this, 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 but the church does not agree with this and this. And, you know, I finally said, I just, I don't want to raise my children in this environment. I, you know, as much as it's meant so much to me, I, I need to find a new place. And, um, and it was difficult for me because, you know, I'd been happy, plenty, just great. Everything was moving along. I loved the potlucks. It was all good. Um, but anyway, so, you know, again, I, the good news is that, you know, I did have people say, you know, the questioning just means you want to be closer to your um, spiritual source. And I said, absolutely true. Um, I had come across Jungian philosophy. I'd come across um, Elaine Pagels and her writings, which I absolutely love, that just opened so many doors. So I was coming across some really great things, but there was no sort of community around it. And um, I missed that. And so, as I say, I came into All Souls sort of with this, you know, a little gun shy of the whole organized uh, religious situation. And when I walked in, I said, okay, I'm good. <laughs> this is great. And um, there's a lot that keeps me here. Um, you know, I think the respectful challenges that I experience through um, being a part of this congregation uh, is really rewarding for me. Um, the children actually want to come, which I can't say <laughs> they wanted to go to the other churches that we've been to. That's a great thing. Um, uh, much like Sharon, I have found this church to be a bridge over troubled waters. And when I lost my dear, dear friend on a service in 2004, I just don't know what I would have done if I hadn't been able to come here and just sit in the pews and cry pretty much for, I don't know, two or three, four months, six months. Sometimes I still cry. Um, but anyway, I found the people here to be loving, warm, genuine. Um, it's, there's not a competition going on. Um, we are interested in service in the community. Uh, we engage diverse communities, um, which, you know, the democratic process is very much alive here. Um, and I feel like I'm, you know, contributing to the growth of this church, which I really appreciate the opportunity to do. And I have to say, Barbara, although this is not about you, um, the music is incredible. <laughs> so I do, to some degree, I have to say thank you to Barbara for that. Um, the music definitely sustains me here as well. So I'm sure there's more that I could say, but I'm um, thrilled to be here, plan to continue to be here, and encourage you all um, to continue to be here, too, because it'd be lonely without you. All right. Thanks. It has been 30 years since I stood at a pulpit and addressed the congregation. And I don't mind telling you, I'm a little nervous. Uh, so I'm going to take a deep breath and get through this, and it'll either be good or it won't. And if it's not, I'll invite you back in another 30 years, and we'll try it again. 
My name is George Leppel. I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, my parents were very conservative, and they were lifelong members of the Dutch Reformed Church, which is the church that I grew up in, which is now the Reformed Church in America. My father was an alcoholic who was a violent and physically abusive man. Back in the 50s and 60s, there were no safety nets. There were no such thing as child protective services, things like that. And if you needed help, if you were in in an abusive family, you had to go to friends, you had to go outside the family for help. My mother sought help with some trusted friends and in the church. In my younger years, the minister at our church was Reverend Coster, and he did a wonderful job helping us the best he could. At one point, he arranged for me to move away from the family for parts of a couple of years. I lived with a uh, German family in upstate New York on a farm. Uh, It was one of the better parts of my childhood. When I turned around the time I turned 14, Reverend Coster retired, and we got a new minister. His name was Fred Hummel. Fred took an immediate interest in our family. I think Reverend Coster had kind of filled him in. And he was invaluable in counseling my mother, trying unsuccessfully to counsel my father. But he kind of took me under his wing, uh, not only religiously, but just in life in general. He taught me how to play golf. I accompanied him to meetings. And he drew me further and further into church life. Church life kind of became a substitute for me for family life. Uh, By ninth grade, I was helping to teach a Sunday school class, and I was the first young person to sing with the adult choir. Uh, In tenth grade, I started teaching my own Sunday school class, and I was the vice president of the youth fellowship. And a year later, I started assisting in the church services with responsive readings and some prayers and collections and the choir, and year by year I got drawn in to the time when I was a senior in high school, I was giving sermons not only in our church, but in other churches and attending discussion groups and giving talks. I guess it was only natural at that point that I decided that I wanted to become a minister. So with everyone's blessing, I applied to college at Hope College in Holland, Michigan. Hope is a small liberal arts college. There was nothing liberal about it at all. It was run by the, is run by the Reformed Church of America, and it is also associated with Western Theological Seminary. My career as a divinity student was short-lived. Uh, this was my first exposure to fundamentalist Christian, and uh, it just didn't sit well with me at all. One of the first lectures I went to was in Old Testament Uh, The professor was the expert on Old Testament, mostly because he had lived long enough that he was alive when most of it had been written. (laughs) And he, uh, the first lecture was about the creation. The creation, according to him, was fact. Evolution was not. And I didn't mind that he believed that creation was a fact. What I minded was that he told us and me that if we did not believe it, We did not belong there. Um, Two weeks later, I found myself in the dean of men's office, Dean DeYoung, very nice man. He pushed his glasses down, he looked at me. And he said, Mr. Lepla, he says, you want to be a minister. He says, how are you going to accomplish that now that you've been thrown out of Old Testament class? Uh, 
You can tell that professor and I didn't get along very well at all. As part of uh, as part of the outreach of the school, Holland, Michigan has probably what seemed to be about a thousand churches. Each church had two services on Sunday morning, a service on Sunday night, a Wednesday night service, discussion groups, prayer groups, and uh, the ministers always were looking at the college for people to come in and talk, uh, to run some of the services, to help with parts of the services, and I enjoyed that, and I, I did that fairly often. About three months into the semester, uh, the director of the outreach program had a evaluation session with me, and he said that I was a fairly good speaker, and he liked some of the sermons that I had given, and some of the talks and reports back were good. But he said, sometimes my sermons were just not hard enough. Sometimes a minister has to face his congregation and put the fear of God in them. Well, that bothered me because I don't fear God. And I don't know how I could instruct somebody else to fear God. We are raised from children. I was raised to believe that God is good. If God is good, why should I fear God? If God was evil, I would fear God. But I didn't think getting into a church and saying, you need to fear God because he's bad. The... uh, The gentleman also explained to me that, you know, in some sermons you need to stress that men are born sinners. And your only hope of salvation is through Jesus Christ. And boy, I had a problem with that too. Um, If man is created in God's image, like most Christians believe, and we assume that God is good, man therefore must be created good. I don't buy the concept of original sin. I believe that people are born inherently good, but we also have the capacity for evil. Whatever sins we we do, we do because of our own actions. Whatever salvation we're going to have, we also do because of our own actions. And I also don't believe that the only way to achieve salvation, if you need salvation is through Jesus Christ. That statement excludes Muslims, Jews, uh, Buddhists. It excludes everybody. And I pose the question, suppose someone is born and lives a goodly life and never hears about Jesus Christ. Are they going to heaven? Well, deeply fundamentalist Christians will tell you no, because the only way to heaven through salvation is through Jesus Christ. And I just don't believe that. I also raised some eyebrows when I told them I really didn't believe in hell either. (laughs) When I was in high school and talking with Fred Hummel, the minister of church, he always stressed to me that uh, being a Christian meant living a good life according to the teachings of Jesus. My faith has more to do with how I live my life, not what necessarily I believe. Sometimes I believe different things. Christianity, to me, in college, became a religion of exclusion. And I felt excluded from it. And I finished out my one year at Hope College and got on with my life. Uh, over the next few years, I joined a couple of different churches, Lutheran and Presbyterian, and 
I didn't fit in there either. By the end of the 70s, I no longer attended any churches. Didn't attend any churches for well over 20 years. Closer to 30 years. Uh, Let's fast forward because it's almost football time. 1993, I was living in Pennsylvania. I had opened a travel agency. 1997, I got a phone call one day from a woman in Texas who wanted to go on one of my cruises. I sell cruises for a living. Uh, Very nice lady. Her name is Becca Love, and she's sitting over there. Uh, She was in Texas. I was in Pennsylvania. She went on one of my group cruises. We met. We liked each other. We started a relationship uh, and a romance that lasted eight years and probably racked up about 400,000 frequent flyer miles. Uh, We wanted to get married, but she did not want to move to Pennsylvania. I certainly didn't want to move to Texas. So we compromised, and in 2006, I moved to Texas. Becca had been a Unitarian for 20 years, and of course in the space of eight years we talked about a lot of things, and I went to church with her, and I was amazed at the openness uh, and the way I was welcomed, but mostly I was amazed, this was in the Woodlands, uh, Woodlands Unitarian Church, mostly I was amazed at one of the basic things that I learned right off the bat about Unitarianism is that we value deeds over creeds. It isn't so much what you believe, but it's how you manifest those beliefs in your life. My good friend Fred Hummel, back in the Reformed Church of America, was probably a Unitarian, and he didn't even know it. (laughs) I love this church. We've only been members since uh, last year. We came here before we even looked at houses. We, We came to see what the church was like. Met Ron. Ron introduced us to Marion Avery. She helped us find a house. And we joined here just about a year ago, I think, last fall. I like it here because this is a religion of inclusion, not exclusion. I like the idea that everybody's welcome. And even though once in a while I get a little twinge of nostalgia for some stained glass windows, I love the sanctuary and I love being a member of the congregation here. Thank you all for allowing me to be part of this community.